0: Well, good morning, everyone, and Happy New Year. It's a, uh, it's a new year, but this is not a new preaching style for me. Um, this is the direct result of a little injury that I suffered yesterday. I, I wish I had an exciting story. I wish I could tell you that I was uh, dunking the basketball on somebody and I hurt my calf or that I was taking a hike through nature or even just running lacrosse drills with my daughters, but I was just walking downstairs. And and uh <laughs> and I felt like somebody kicked me in my calf, and next thing I knew, I couldn't do much moving around. So anyway, I'm seated this morning, but I feel a lot better today. Some of you have been praying. Thank you. Hopefully, next Sunday, I will be standing up here. So obviously, it's the new year. You've heard that many times. And wow, what a great group at 9 a.m. We almost... Thought about doing one service today because we were just thinking who's going to stay up late and, and get up early. But the truth is, looking around the room, most of you probably didn't make it till midnight. Uh, so, <laughs> so you are here. Um, when we think about a new year, we always think about a new you, right? And there's always this talk of resolutions. And a resolution is basically you turn your life from living one way to living another way, right? So many of us make a resolution like turning from eating every Christmas cookie you can get your hands on to, to having some resemblance of a healthy lifestyle. Or maybe your, your resolution is to turn from being late to things to being on time, or turn from having your face in a screen so much to having your face uh, time with real people. Or maybe your resolution, this is a good one, is to turn from being a Patriots fan to being a Bills fan. Great, great, great year to do that. You know, the word resolution and the act of resolving to do something different reminds us of a word in Scripture called repentance. And the exact definition of repentance means to change your mind, but it's much more than just changing your mind. Biblical repentance always involves a turning. There's a turning from one way of thinking and living to a different way of thinking and living. And the message of repentance is not a popular one. It's not exactly the greatest message to start a year with. It's because people don't like to be told that they need to change. If you've had kids, you know this is true. That's why there's this thing called reverse psychology, where you try to tell your kids that they don't want to do something so that you can get them to do it. We don't want to be, and as we get older, it doesn't get easier. None of us want to be told how we need to turn our lives around and how we need to change. New Year's resolutions are never chosen for us, They're always chosen by us. However, when you look in the scriptures, it seems like the message of repentance is the message that our world needs. And every time that the apostles stood up and preached in the book of Acts, the one application point that every single message included was a call to repent. Acts 2, 3, 5, 8, 11, 17, 20, and 26. There are sermons, and every single sermon, there's a call to repent. Now, a handful of years before any of the apostles traveled, preaching a message of repentance, there was a man named John who stood in a wilderness, a Judean wilderness just east of Jerusalem, and he called people to repent. And this is our passage this morning, Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Now that phrase, in the wilderness, doesn't just indicate where he was, but it actually was a clue to who he was. Because there are prophecies from Isaiah and from Malachi that someone would come eventually and they would stand in the wilderness and they would proclaim that the Messiah was coming. And so this phrase, in the wilderness, had a lot of meaning to the original uh, readers. Here's here's John's message, verse 2. Repent, or turn, for the kingdom of God is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Now, let me just say something about this. John's a strange dude. Like There's no way around it. He's a weird guy. But his garments were actually common to nomadic desert dwellers, especially if you were poor. And locusts and wild honey were not an unusual source of food for people who lived in the desert. In fact, the the desert locust, which is actually a very large grasshopper, is still eaten by many in the Middle East and Africa. Verse 5, Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to John, And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees, these were the religious leaders who comprised the Sanhedrin, when he saw them coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, John's a bit of a truth teller, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, well, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones, or from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. This tree is somewhat symbolic of Israel. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn but the chaff we will burn he will burn with unquenchable fire so three things that we're going to learn this morning about repentance why we repent how we repent and what happens when we repent why how and what so let's talk first about why we repent Actually, my injury yesterday was not the first leg or foot injury that we had in our, we- in our house this week, believe it or not. Earlier in the week, I was walking our youngest daughter around. Our youngest daughter, Maddie, she's eight, and she has cerebral palsy. So in order for her to move around, one of us has to walk her around. We put our hands under her armpits, and we help her get around. And I was walking her around, and sometimes because of her physical limitations, she drags her feet... And I accidentally, and I had my sneakers on when I was doing it, and I accidentally scraped my sneaker across the top of her foot and, and, and hurt her foot. And I know, you're all looking at me like you monster. <laughs> you monster. It was an accident. And um, she immediately started crying, and it was one of those, it wasn't an angry cry, it was a hurt cry. That's the worst type, right? She was immediately hurting. And when, she, when I realized she was hurting, then I was, inside, I was hurting. She got me back later, because now I can't walk, but... Um, <laughs> I felt bad, so bad, and I just kept saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. Why do we say we're sorry? I think there's three reasons we say we're sorry. Sometimes we say we're sorry because we feel bad, and we feel responsible, and we kind of want to get that weight off of us. Sometimes we say sorry because we're forced. You know, parents, we've told our kids before, say sorry to your sister, say sorry to your brother, and sometimes you feel like you have to say sorry, or you're going to lose something that's valuable to you, and so... You apologize or you say you're sorry. And sometimes, actually, we apologize because of pride. Let me explain. We would say to ourselves, I'm not the type of person to hold a grudge. I'm better than people like that. And so we say, we're sorry. But feeling bad or feeling prideful or feeling forced, none of those are reasons why Christians repent. Christians repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what John's message was. Repent, because you should feel bad about your sin. No. Repent, because you're better than the people who don't. No. Repent, because if you don't, God won't accept you. No. John said, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Now, the kingdom of God, it's God exercising his authority, his royal authority, which he has always had. But in Jesus, he, in the person and work of Jesus, he showed it in a new way so that his reign would be visible on earth as it is in heaven. My favorite definition of the kingdom of God is this, that the kingdom of God is the reign and rule, or the rightful reign and rule of God over every corner of creation. Can you envision what that would look like? The rightful reign of God, the rightful rule of God over every corner of creation. And Jesus came to reveal, inaugurate, and establish this kingdom in a brand new way. So, God has always reigned over everything, and He always reigns over everything. But here's what happens His rule becomes more visible as Jesus teaches, heals, signs, wonders, restrains Satan, and calls the redeemed to Himself. When men and women repent, believe, and walk in God's ways, they are embracing God's kingdom, His rule. Entering the kingdom of God is not about crossing a border. It's about embracing God's rule. So here's what happens when you and I repent. When we turn, when we repent, we are recognizing and embracing God's kingdom in our lives. His reign and rule over our desires and our passions as seen in Jesus so that it can be seen in us. So the call to repent is a call to actually remove obstacles from our lives that might hinder the kingdom of God in us and the kingdom of God around us. And turning to the kingdom of God, remember, repenting means turning, turning from this way to this way, turning toward the kingdom of God means turning away from counterfeit kingdoms. And if you study people's lives, and if you spend enough time with someone, you'll realize that everybody's building their life around some sort of a kingdom. For some people, it's a kingdom of power and influence, and that's what they live for, and that's who they serve. For some people, it's a kingdom of pleasure and escape, and they're always going down that path. Some people, it's the kingdom of control, and when they feel in control, they feel like their kingdom is strong, and when they lose control, they they can literally feel like their kingdom is falling apart. For some people, it's the kingdom of approval and acceptance, and they'll do anything to be approved of and accepted by people because that's their kingdom. It can be many things, wealth, security, and comfort. And what Jesus came to do was to show us that there's a better kingdom. There's a truer kingdom. There's a more beautiful kingdom. And so when John said, repent, repent, For the kingdom of God is is at hand. Here's what he was saying. Turn to God's kingdom because you were created for his kingdom. And that is the only kingdom in which you will thrive and find freedom and find flourishing that you were created for. All other kingdoms and all other kings will require everything of you. So, in summary of this first point, we repent not because we feel bad about what we did, nor because we feel we are better than people who don't repent. We repent because the kingdom of God is at hand, and we are all about the kingdom of God. And John actually does something neat here. He points away from the kingdom for just a moment, and he points to the king. Do you notice at the end, John starts talking about Jesus? Because every kingdom has a king, and Jesus came to be king. We talked about this on Christmas Eve. He is the mightier, greater, greater, stronger one. John says, did you hear when John said, there's one coming after me, he's greater than me, he's mightier than me, he's more worthy than me. In fact, John says, he's so much greater than me that I don't deserve to fulfill the lowest task of a slave, which is to carry his dirty sandals. That's how beautiful and wonderful and true King Jesus is. But not only is he mighty, great, and strong, he's just. John says that he's someday he's got this winnowing fork in his hand, which is this metaphor of separating chaff and grain and seeds, and Jesus someday is gonna separate those who truly have repented and belong to him and those who don't. So we have a king who is mighty, who is strong, who is just, who sees all, but also who is kind, who is so kind that he came to earth to give us the kingdom. In fact, the Bible says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. If you repent because you feel miserable and bad, that might be part of it, because that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit sometimes. But if you're not repenting also motivated by the kindness of God, that God has expressed in Him in Jesus the kingdom to us, then it may not be Christian repentance. So why do we repent? Because the kingdom is at hand. Second point this morning, how do we repent? And there's just three things I want to share with you on how we repent. And I think this might be helpful for some of you, especially as we go into this new year and, and, and you think about how do I repent. The first thing that we do is we own up. We own up. One of our favorite stories about Caroline, our 11-year-old, is when she was much, much younger, one day she opened up the uh, freezer and she found the ice cream sandwiches. And she helped herself to an ice cream sandwich. And by the time we found her, the evidence against her was monumental. <laughs> she was sitting next to the freezer, the door was open, she had, a, she had an ice cream uh, wrapper, ice cream sandwich wrapper in her lap, she had, she had a quarter of it in her hand and a quarter of it in her belly and the other half all over her face. And Aaron looked at her and said, Caroline, did you take and eat an ice cream sandwich? And she looked her right in the face and said, nope. <laughs> It says that the people came to John to be baptized by him, confessing their sins. The truth is, is we hate owning up. We hate owning up. We don't want to confess. But if we will not confess our sins, there's no hope for repentance and forgiveness, and restoration. The first step of repentance is owning up, confessing our sins, recognizing and recognizing and admitting the ways in which we have missed the mark. That's one of the ways that you can interpret the word sin in Scripture, to miss the mark or to fall short, the ways in which we have been our own worst enemy. 1 John 1, 8, and 9, the Apostle John says, if we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So repentance is not something for bad people to do, Repentance is something that all of us have to do all of the time. Repentance is not like a once a week, get to church and repent. Repentance is a daily spiritual discipline that Christians learn to do regularly. Because if we begin to tell ourselves, I have no sin in me, then the Bible says you're lying to yourself. And no one in your life has lied to you more than yourself. And so we have to be careful about this. He goes on to say, here's the good news. If we will confess our sins, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of our unrighteousness. And so we confess, we own up. And the only way that you and I are going to confess and own up is if we know God's truth. We need God's word as a mirror. Before our service at 8.30, we have a pre-service huddle with everybody who's serving this morning in this building and the other building. And we read from 2 Timothy chapter 3 where, where it says that the word of God, it is fruitful in our lives. It corrects us. It rebukes us. It guides us. It trains us. It teaches us. It makes us wise. God's word is a mirror so we can see our lives. And if we're not in God's word, what a great resolution for you to set for yourself in 2023 to be in God's word every single day. This morning, I used my YouTube app, or not YouTube, I didn't use YouTube yet. I used my Version app to start a new Bible reading plan. I'm going to read through the New Testament this year. You can do that. You know, if you're not reading your Bible every day, don't set a goal like, I'm going to read for an hour every day. You're never going to do it. Just read a couple scriptures every day. Get into the habit of being in God's word because it's God's word that acts as a mirror that shows us ourselves. And if we can't see ourselves properly, we will never repent as we should. But it's not just God's word. It's also the community of God's people. We're called to speak the truth and love to one another. And so yes, God's word, but also we need each other to own up. Now, one of the biggest misunderstandings about repentance is that this is where it ends. You just gotta confess. There's more to it. The second step is you gotta lay down. You gotta lay down. Verse nine was kind of a weird verse. John says, Don't presume to yourself just because Abraham's your dad, you're okay. He says, God's able to raise up from stones the children of Abraham. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying to the most high ranking religious Jewish leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, don't think just because of your pedigree, don't think just because you're Jewish. Don't think just because you can claim Abraham as your father that somehow that gets you in. In fact, the best things about us don't get us in. The best things about us sometimes keep us out because we're not willing to lay them down. And true repentance means not just owning up to our badness, but it means laying down our goodness, laying down our resume, laying down our performance, laying down all the things that we think should get us in. Laying down all the things that we think, well, God, you should be impressed with me because look, 9 a.m., first day of the year, I'm in church and all of those people are still sleeping, sleeping at off or doing something out there. They're not here, look at me. And we're tempted to come before God and say, how impressive am I? But listen to this. Repentance is not turning from your badness to your goodness. Repentance is not turning from your worst efforts to your best efforts. Repentance is not turning from your mess-ups and your mistakes to your accomplishments and your achievements, because that would be turning from yourself to yourself. But salvation is not found in me, and salvation is not found in you. Repentance is recognizing on a deep, personal, profound level that you and I cannot save ourselves. Listen, if you and I could have saved ourselves, Jesus didn't need to come and give his life on the cross for our sins. We have to not just own up to our sins, we have to lay down even our best efforts and not try to earn our way in, but receive the forgiveness of God. Yesterday, I saw this post on Twitter by a pastor named Dane Ortland. I thought it was so good. He said, listen to this. All your bad does not make you harder to save. That's important for some of us to hear. All our bad doesn't make us harder to save, but that also means all our good doesn't make us easier to save. What saves us is Christ, and what we contribute is honesty, confession, admitting we are sinners, and then casting ourselves on him. All of our hope is on Jesus. Have you been a good person for most of your life? Great. It doesn't matter when we're talking about repentance. We do not work our way into God's grace and forgiveness. We come and we own up, we lay down, and then lastly, we got to get in. Now, what does get in mean? What John the Baptist is most famous for, and it's right in his name, is water baptism, right? That's what we think of when we think of John the Baptist. He baptized people in water. And actually, when John's baptizing people in water here, we do this now in our church. In fact, there's a baptismal tank right behind the stage where we water-baptize people throughout the year. But when John did it, this was innovative. This was new. There were examples of Gentiles getting baptized in water when they converted to Judaism, But John's not baptizing Gentiles here. He's baptizing Jews. This is new. This is innovative, this water baptism. And it symbolizes the cleansing away of their sins, because remember, they're coming and repenting and confessing, but also symbolizes a passing safely through the waters of judgment and death. And so when they get baptized, they get in. They're going in. They're going under the water. John talks about two types of baptism in this text. Did you notice it? He said, I baptize with water, but there's one coming after me who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, one baptism, John's, is symbolic. The other baptism, Jesus, is supernatural. John's was outward, but Jesus was inward. Baptism in the Holy Spirit here is not referencing, if you're familiar with what happened in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, John's not talking about that here. John's talking about conversion. The baptism of the Holy Spirit that John is writing about here or speaking about here is our hearts being baptized and converted and made new. And that is supernatural, and that is inward. The spirit baptism is the life-changing work of God brought about in someone's life. And so here's what happens at conversion. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, so to speak, baptizes you in Christ, immerses you, submerges you, you get in, you get in. You were on the outside, and now just like someone going under the water, and they immerse and submerge, the Holy Spirit baptizes you in Christ. Here's what it means this morning. It means that you no longer stand. If you're in Christ, if you've owned up, laid down, and gotten in, you no longer stand before God in your sinfulness, but you also no longer stand before God in your righteousness. You stand before God in Christ. It's his righteousness That speaks for you. It's his performance. It's his goodness. So here's what water baptism means total identification with Jesus. I'm in Christ. I've I've owned up, I've confessed my sin, I've laid down any hope of saving myself. Now, what do I do? I get in. Hide yourself in Christ. Get in Christ. Water baptism, when we baptize people back here, we do it at Trinity by full immersion. We take them all the way under, and it's symbolic of identifying with Christ's life, his death, his burial as you go under the water, and as you come out of the water, his resurrection power. So this is what it means to repent. We own up, confess our sins, we lay down, we turn away from any other source of salvation, and we get in. We're in Christ. Our only hope for righteousness is not found in us. It's found in Christ. So lastly this morning, what happens when we repent. John challenges the Jewish leaders. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit. You know, apple season feels a long time away all of a sudden, but it's coming back in the fall. No one sees apples on a tree and then says, I should look closer to see what kind of tree this is. As soon as you see apples on a tree, you are pretty sure... This is an apple tree. Why? Because whatever a tree is determines the type of fruit that it bears. You know a tree by its fruit. And that's what John is teaching us here. You'll know a repentant Christian by the fruit in their life. They can go to church. They can read the Bible. They can pray. They can give money. They can be faithful. They can do lots of things. But until you see the fruit in their lives, there's no actual evidence of repentance, Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And as uh, I'm going to have the band join me. We're going to sing as we close. There's two types of fruit that happen in keeping with repentance. Let me explain this, and then we'll finish. The first is the fruit in our own lives. The fruit in our own lives. Galatians 5, Paul writes about the fruit of the Spirit. You've heard this list before, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control. Look back at 2022. January 1st, 2022, January 1st, 2023. Are you growing in these areas? Let me give you some questions to reflect on. Are you more loving now than you were a year ago towards people who disagree with you? Do you have more access to deep joy when you're having a bad day at work? Are you having a deeper experience of inner peace even when there's chaos and crisis in our world and in our country? Have you become, this past year, more patient with family members who try your patience? Are you more kind towards your spouse than you were a year ago? Is there greater goodness in your intentions towards others and in the way you interpret other people's intentions? Are you being more faithful now than you were a year ago or five years ago in your use of your time, your talent, and your treasure? Is there increased gentleness in the way you speak to other people, and the way you handle yourself on social media? Is there greater self-control in your life now than a year ago when it comes to your desires and your appetites? That's a tough, tough list of questions to process. But that's the kingdom. The kingdom of God is all of those things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. And as the kingdom of God becomes manifest and seen in our lives, those things will show up. I hope what you're feeling right now in terms of tension is you're feeling this reality that I got to repent every day. Every day, I got to return to Christ and come back and say, I own up. I lay down. I need to get in to Jesus. So it's the fruit in our own lives. And lastly, this morning, fruit is not just about your life. Fruit is about the lives of people around you. You know, for John the Baptist, we're not going to, next week, we're jumping to the next chapter. But if you read the rest of chapter 3, he baptizes Jesus next. It's an amazing story, right? It's as good as his life seems to get. From this point forward, John the Baptist's life seems to go downhill. Here's what happens. He's the man right now. I mean, he's the man. People are coming out of the city to the wilderness to see him and to hear him. But he's about to baptize the Son of God. And when Jesus walks on the scene, there's a new man. (laughs) There's someone new. And John's disciples literally leave him to go follow Jesus. And some of his disciples come to John and say, John, bro, you're losing influence. Your Twitter followers are going down. Your Instagram likes are getting less and less every day. And Jesus is blowing up. And John's answer is the most stunning revelation of humility and fruit. And it's this. He must increase and I must decrease. That's the fruit of his life because John realized my life is not about me. My life is about Jesus. Now, he literally was the one who was prophesied about who would come and prepare the way for Jesus. So you could say that John was literally born and sent to earth so that he could prepare a path for Jesus. But the truth is, is 2,000 years later, you and I are not that different. Our lives are not about us. Our lives are about Jesus. We are here. We have life so that he might be seen, so that Jesus might increase and we might decrease. John goes on to sit in prison while Jesus does fruitful ministry. And in fact, John has a moment where he doubts, and he sends his followers to Jesus and says, ask him, are you actually the one? Because I'm sitting in prison here. He was imprisoned by Herod because he called out Herod for marrying a woman named Herodias, who was actually his brother Philip's wife, who somehow was both of their nieces. I know, (laughs) dramatic traumatic, weird. John calls out Herod, gets arrested, and then in a drunken party one night, this evil man, Herod, has his daughter do a seductive dance for him and his friends, and he's so impressed by this dance that he promises her anything, even half the kingdom, and the wicked mom, Herodias, says, ask for John the Baptist's head on a platter. Herod doesn't want to do it, but he's made this oath in front of all of his friends, and that's how John's life ends. It doesn't get better from John from this point forward. It gets worse. Why? Because he didn't live for himself. The fruit of his life was seen in the life of Jesus. See, Tertullian, this church father, he said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The blood of the martyrs, those who gave their life for the faith, it's the seed of the church. And I'm convinced that most of us will not give our lives for our faith, most of us will probably never have to shed our blood for Jesus, but you will give your blood, sweat, and tears to something. And your blood, sweat, and tears will be the seed of something, but what will it be? Or here's another way of asking it, who will, who will it be? Whose life will be changed by the fruit of your life? Fruit in the lives of others. So here, the fruit of repentance is this. You're willing to be a seed that falls into the ground and dies so that others can live. My prayer in 2023 is that this would be our church resolution, our church desire. God, let there be fruit in my life that is in keeping with the lifestyle of repentance. Let it be seen in my life, but let it be seen in the lives of other people too, that I'm willing to die, I'm willing to decrease so you can be increased, so that other people can know you, love you, serve you, and be changed by you. Let's pray.